0: Dr. Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Michael Greger. We've got uh, Dr. Michael Greger here. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Gregor, welcome to England. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Let's get straight into it because I know you've um, not got a huge amount of time. Everyone wants to see you. Um, tell me a little bit about, about the progress in the plant-based movement recently. There's been tremendous progress, particularly in the health field, at least that's, I mean,
1: that's certainly my perspective. Um, In the States, there's just been a a real surge, a real tipping point in terms of the plant-based uh, nutrition movement. There are now entire conferences. There's an international plant-based nutrition health care conference. Hundreds of physicians, other medical professionals get together, talk about how they're using this in their practice. I mean, that didn't exist a few years ago. I mean, it's really, really exciting. There's new vegan medical clinics opening up. Where all the folks on staff are using lifestyle medicine approaches, not just to
0: prevent disease, but to stop and reverse it as well. Mm. Tell me about the main players involved. You've got Nutrition Facts growing, you've got the Physicians Committee doing a little work. Um, who are the main players and what's been achieved specifically in the last few months and last year? What's been the memorable moment for you?
1: Well, so, you know, a lot of people don't know about Scott Stoll, who started this, uh, the uh, um, PBNHC, this, uh, this plantrition project, this um, uh, plant-based nutrition conference. He's been doing these immersion programs for Whole Foods for a long time now. Um, he has a book coming out. Okay. I'm very excited about that. Um, he's just had transformative experiences. You know, he's just a physician in practice. There's people all over who've been doing this in their own little, you know, hometowns. But it's just great to get so many people together, start networking. Um, uh, so there's wonderful resources out now, documentaries, you know, we got a number of documentaries coming up, like the Game Changers and, uh, Eat Yourself Alive. And I mean, it's just, this is an exciting mm. time to be in the movement, uh, I think, you know, a lot of it is just there's so much—I uh, mean, we're going to get there if only because the health care costs are spiring out of control, right? Uh, climate change. I mean, we're just going to be forced to have to take these, you know, safe, simple, side-effect-free solutions, cheaper, safer, more effective— than conventional medical approaches, because we're talking about the leading killers, right? the leading cause of death. I mean, the good news is, is that the vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a plant-based diet and other healthy lifestyle behaviors. We have the power,
0: we have tremendous power over our medical destiny and longevity. You talk passionately about the benefits of uh, plant-based diet, particularly reversing heart disease. My old boss, he was a professor of epidemiology called Professor Tim Spector. He said mm. he met Dr. Dean Ornish. Mm. Dr. Dean Ornish said, the thing with the plant-based movement is you get the sense you're either with them or against them. We're going to talk mm. about that in a minute. But also what he said was there aren't any uh, large randomised control trials. He said, Dr. Dean Ornish, show me the large randomised... Why aren't there any? If We've known about this since Pritikin's day... Where's the data? The large randomized control trials. Well, look.
1: I mean, Ornish published uh, his first RCT, randomized control trial, July nineteen ninety, in the Lancet, the most prestigious medical journal in the world. There it was, black and white, proving with quantitative angiography that we can reverse heart disease, open up arteries without drugs, without surgery, just a healthy plant based diet and other lifestyle changes. There it was. Right? So we've known about it for decades, but there it was published in some of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, The Lancet, JAMA, yet what happened? Nothing. Hundreds of thousands of people continue to die of a reversible, preventable disease. So it's being ignored. It's being lost down the rabbit hole. and ignored. I said, well, wait a second. If the, effectively the cure... To our number one killer could get lost like then, what else is there in the medical literature that could help my patients but just didn't have a corporate budget driving its promotion? I made it my life's mission to find out. That's why I started
0: NutritionFacts.org and that's why I wrote my new book, How Not to Die. What I find very interesting is you say the system needs to take on board this message, but the whole point of Nutrition Facts was to go around the system. Tell me a little bit about the democratization of information and the role that's played, and why that's been good for the, the movement, I guess.
1: You know, I, when I started out, I started out ignoring the general public and going straight, you know, to, trying to train the trainers effectively, going around speaking at all the medical schools in the States to uh, try to, you know, get the next generation of doctors educated, but then I realized that's a slow way about it. We don't have time. People are dying now. I don't need to, you know, for another ten years for them to kind of slowly take over the uh, medical system. People are dying now. We need to take this directly to the people. And Thankfully, thanks to the internet age, we now have this democratization of information. Now everyone has access. Before the doctors had a monopoly on information about health. And so, big pharma, the food industry, all they had to do was get to the doctors. The tobacco industry, as long as they could get the AMA on board by writing them checks for $10 million, and so they came out opposed to the Surgeon General's report against smoking in 1964, as long as they, get, as long as they control the doctors, they control the health message. No longer. Now people can get to the science directly, educate themselves, and and, and, and we can't wait until society catches up to the science
0: because it's a matter of life and death. USDA, um, I've read their mission is to expand markets for agricultural products. But at the same time, they're coming out with the dietary guidelines. Is that one of the challenges you have in the states? The USDA
1: has an inherent conflict of interest. The U.S. Department of Agriculture. Look, the same thing happened here in Great Britain. Right there was the Ministry of Food and Forestry, right? And then the, the Mad Cow debacle came, mm-hmm. and they basically dissolved the department. Right? Put pu- put you know food safety in charge. You know medical professionals in charge of food safety instead of agriculture professionals. Same conflict of interest exists in the states. U.S. Department of Agriculture has this dual mission to promote agricultural products. That's what they're there for, but also we put them in charge of food safety, meat inspections, helping to come up with the nutrition guidelines. So when it comes to eat more messaging, the message is clear. Eat more fruits and vegetables. There it is, right there in black and white, the dietary guidelines, but what about Eat less messaging. Then there's a conflict. So what do you get? Instead of eat less, meat, eggs, dairy, junk, what do they say? Eat less saturated and trans fatty acids, things like that, biochemical components, right? Because they don't want to mention foods because that's too politically unpalatable. But they'll mention vegetables, they'll mention fruits. Well, they'll mention fruits and vegetables because it's an eat more messaging. Everybody's happy. Promote agricultural products and promote health. If they can do it without uh, undermining the profit
0: motive, they'd be happy to make the American public healthier. In your book, you use words such as drug lords, quite conspiratorial words, some would argue, when you're talking about the medical industry. I think I saw that in the preface. Can you just explain a little bit about um, how corrupt the medical industry is uh, in the US, it's kind of related to what you've talked about already? Well, there's a number of barriers
1: for doctors. So you say, okay, we understand why some of the mainstream medical associations are sucking up to industry because they're being sponsored by Big Pharma, for example. But why aren't individual doctors speaking out? Well. There's a severe nutrition deficiency in doctors in education. We just weren't taught this in medical school, so we graduate without these powerful tools in our medical toolbox. We just weren't, we just weren't taught how to teach people to take better care of themselves. Right? Um, but of course, there's other barriers. There's lack of time, lack of reimbursement. Doctors aren't paid um, to tell people how to take better care of themselves. Um, and also, there's um, there's you know much of medical education, both uh, during medical school and postgraduate medical education, is paid for by the drug industry. I mean, the number one reason people go to their doctor in North America is what are called blood pressure checks, I and mean, they keep going to get their blood pressure checks so they can tweak the blood pressure medications. And so that's a boon, not only to Big Pharma, which sell these chronic disease drugs that people take every single day for the rest of their lives, because they're not actually treating the cause of their disease, right? because they're not actually changing their diet, so they need to be treated every day for the rest of their life. So it's the boon to the big pharma, but also that's where the doctor's getting their next BMW from and sending their kids to college. I mean, the, the most common, it's the bread and butter of the GPs, of the, of the primary care docs, is these blood pressure checks, which wouldn't be necessary if they didn't have high blood pressure. The number one killer risk factor in the world, nine million people dying of high blood pressure, a disease that need not
0: occur if people, a plant-based diet, something we've known since the 1920s. You think ready uh, people rather are ready to receive that information? Because you talk very passionately about the science. The science is clearly there, but are people ready to take that on board? <laughs>
1: There are people ready. Not everybody's ready. Look, there are still people who are smoking cigarettes. I mean, who to this day doesn't know that smoking is bad? Right? But there's been this tremendous drop in smoking. The peak year was 1964 in the States of smoking per capita, about 4,000 cigarettes a year, but most Americans smoking about half a pack on average a day. That was the peak year. What happened in that year? Surgeon General's report. As soon as the government came on board, now it took 7,000 studies before the first Surgeon General's report came out in 1964. You think after the first 6,000 they could have given people a little heads up or something? No, 7,000, 25 years, 7,000, countless smoker deaths. Finally they came out. They finally acknowledged what we've known for years, smoking causes cancer, and what happened? Smoking rates have dropped every year since. Right. So now, last year, the World Health Organization comes out, the IARC, the official body which determines what causes cancer, what doesn't cause cancer, came out. Processed meat is a Class one carcinogen. We know processed meat causes cancer as much as we know that smoking causes cancer, asbestos causes cancer, radiation causes cancer, yet uh, people continue to send their kids to school with these lunch meat products, chicken nuggets, these processed meat products. We regulate tobacco. There are warning labels on tobacco. There should be similar regulations to protect people from processed meat.
0: Timescale, what do you think? Uh, Smoking it took, you're saying, 50 years uh, between when the science was known and when the institutions acted upon that. With meat, it's a little bit different, surely, because they've said processed meat is bad, but surely it's going to take a while for them to say all animal products detrimental to health. Well, look, let's,
1: the government, uh, so the Centers for Disease Control, on their website should be processed meat causes cancer, just like smoking causes cancer. Let's at least get that information out there. So, you're right, meat is considered a probable human carcinogen, uh, unprocessed meat. Uh, good enough for me. I'd rather stay away from probable human carcinogens as well. Uh, but look, let's start with a low-hanging fruit. We know bacon, hot dogs, sausage, lunch meat, turkey slices, chicken nuggets. These foods cause cancer. We're certain of it. We have scientific certainty, consensus among the scientists, uh, You know, the expert committee that came together to determine this. Let's get that out of our diet. Um, uh, in the very least, now that the science is solid, how many years, how many people's lives are we going to have to lose um, before we finally come on board? Look, it's, it's your body, your choice. You want to smoke cigarettes? Go for it. right? You should just be aware of the predictable consequences of your actions. It's up to each of us to make our own decisions as to what to eat and how to live, but we should make these choices consciously, educating
0: ourselves about the predictable consequences of our actions. You talked earlier about the barriers. Um I want to talk about low-carb diets. I know you've written a book on low-carb diets. Uh, I know you've talked about them before. I don't really want to get into the science. You've done that. But I want to know whether you think these physicians recommending meat-based low-carb diets, do you think they're actively putting this misinformation out or are they just misinforming themselves? Is it a lack of integrity? Yeah, so that's a good question, right? So, I mean, my... uh, I mean, it,
1: it... at a certain point, it doesn't really matter, right? Whether they're doing it just to sell books, or they're doing it because they've deluded themselves into thinking that this is true, and they haven't really looked at the science. Either way, what they're doing is they're harming people, right? Um, and so yes, people love hearing bad news about the good news about the bad habits. So you know, it, you know that's how you sell magazines. Butter is back, something like that. But, you're selling the public short. The public deserves and needs to know that there is a consensus among the nutrition scientific community going back decades about the foundations of healthy eating and healthy living, and that is more whole plant foods, like more fruits and vegetables,
0: and minimize their intake of animal foods and processed junk. Have you had any backlash or hate from anybody about what you promote? Like, for example, from the the low-carb doctors? I, I'm sure. I'm a, You're sure. I mean, I. I, I mean, I, I.
1: So I mean, I don't. Well, I mean, so for example, uh, the Atkins Corporation. When I came out with my book against low carb guys, sued me for libel. I was li- making libelous statements. Get act- against Atkins. I'm um, saying his diet was bad. Of course, he dropped dead before they were able to carry out their uh, um, lawsuit, and they went bankrupt four months after the book came out, so they weren't able to, uh, but I published the, uh, the, uh, you know, the attorney letter online with a point-by-point rebuttal, um, uh, I, so I encouraged the uh, uh, meat
0: and junk food industry to sue me. I could use the extra traffic. Are you worried, though, because you do realize you're messing with an industry that's bigger than oil? There's been wars over oil. How much resistance can we expect from the meat and dairy industries in the future?
1: Well, you know, look, the meat and dairy industry, they're not, they don't wake up every morning and say, how can we kill people, how can we kill animals, right? What do they, they wake up every morning and say, I want to make money, all right? So... You know, if we, I mean, the, very recently in the Meeting Place magazine, which is a leading industry meat publication, the cover story was on plant-based meats, was on, you know, uh, like... Meat
0: substitute market. Right,
1: meat substitute market. And they're saying, look, we got the distribution, we got the machines, we got like the sausage-making machines, we should be... These vegan companies are taking away our market share, let's get into this. It's like the dairy company, you know, buying up silk soy milk, putting out soy milk. They already got the distribution, they got the packaging, they got it all down. They don't care. In fact, it's probably easier to make soy milk. You don't have to deal with the manure. You don't have to deal with all that. I mean, I mean, it's just inefficient, right? From a purely capitalist standpoint, to make an egg, going through the chicken and all the feed and all the hassle and work, why you could make egg-free mayonnaise, and there we go. I mean, it's like it's cheaper, it's safer. It's. I mean, uh, I mean, it's just. I mean, so these industries are jumping on board. So it's. They just want to make money. And we show them a different way to make money, they'll make money in a different way, right? Coca-Cola executives don't wake up and say, how can we make little kids fat? They say, how can we make money? Well, let's take the cheapest possible ingredients, like sugar, because the taxpayers subsidize the sugar industry, charge a couple bucks for it, they make a lot of money. Junk makes a lot of money. Broccoli doesn't make a lot of money. But if people buy
0: broccoli, if people stop buying this junk, um, uh, we can shift the industry over. Vegan junk. You mentioned a lot of corporations are doing well, starting to affect the economy. The economy. You've got full Your Heart making vegan eggs. Uh, you've got uh, I can't remember the other comp- a lot of companies. That's what I'm trying to say. Do you support those companies, and do you think the mock meats they're making are healthy?
1: Well, they're healthy, so certainly so I consider them transition foods, great ways to get people to move over. You know most people who have developed this palate to kind of the standard Western diet they can't go straight to salads and lentils and, and sweet potatoes. I mean just, they just just wouldn't taste you know it's just uh, you know they have a, they have a history they've developed a certain kind of talent. So we can say look everything you enjoyed before you can enjoy. you like burgers we got veggie burgers. you' like Bre we got we got anything you want you like ice cream we got ice cream like anything okay. That's great. That's a way to slowly shift the market, shift people over. But I just don't want people to stop there. I want people to continue to improve their diet. So sure, cholesterol-free, less saturated fat, etc. But even better, the more whole plant foods we can get into our diet, pack in,
0: the healthier will be long-term. What I wanted to get into was I wanted to know your thoughts on um, the vegan community. How do you feel we are representing ourselves at the moment? Do you think we should focus on health? Or, um, because what I'm trying to say is the mainstream things are really wacky and that kind of thing. Do you think we should have uh, like a health focus primarily or should people uh, talk about the ethical issues or both, I guess?
1: Well, I mean, as a speaker, the number one rule of professional speaking is know thine audience right I mean it's like who are you talking to talking about young people find out what they're passionate about right if they're passionate about one thing you talk about the implications I mean that's um, I mean you know I talk mostly to professional medical audiences and they care about the medicine so I talk about health um, uh, But for people that don't care about health, I don't bring up health. I mean, you know, I mean, it's you got to know who you're talking to. You're talking to women, you talk about breast cancer. You're talking to men, you talk about prostate cancer and erectile dysfunction. You talk to young people, I talk about acne. I talk about athletic performance. I talk about things people care about. I'm not going to talk about you know acne to the 80 year old who's got crushing chest pain. But I mean, it's just, and so I mean, I think it should depend on you know who we're trying to reach, Um, and you know. Uh, Frankly, I mean, the health argument, when I mean, we have such this overwhelming balance of evidence and support, then it's like who doesn't want to be healthy? Like, I mean, it's like that reaches everybody. I mean, so does not reach people, everybody
0: though? I look, don't think it
1: does. Some people care, some people care about animals, some people don't. Yeah. Who doesn't want to live a long healthy life? Who doesn't want to live a long healthy life? I mean, uh, I mean,
0: I mean, so I mean, I think I. I mean, I I don't know. So, but look, I've got a bias. I mean, that's just my background. So but you, you've got a bias. Do you think that affects your credibility? That you, you've got the whole vegan thing has come up um, on your Wikipedia Wikipedia page. It says, um, "I'm playing devil's advocate here." Please? But On your Wikipedia page, it says some people criticised you for cherry picking because you've got vegan motives. Have you tried to kind of cover up the whole animal thing because you want to? keep that credibility and just make it health, 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 health. Do you understand the question I'm asking? Yeah, no, no. It must I be difficult because th- no, medic- no, it's all nothing, evidence-based. I mean, there's
1: nothing covering up. I mean, I yeah. work for the Humane Society of the United States, the largest animal protection organization in the world. There's no... What am I covering up? I mean, I mean I'm i the director of public health yeah. of the, of the HSUS. Um... But uh, I mean, in terms of cherry picking, mean, that's like the tobacco industry saying, you know that American cancer, and they've actually said this, American Cancer Society is cherry picking. They're only talking about the studies that smoking says is bad for you. We've got a stack of 100 studies, and they actually went to Senate subcommittee hearings, 100 studies that say smoking is not just harmless, but good for you. Why doesn't the American Cancer Society ever talk about all the studies showing that smoking is healthy for you? Because they're- it's not a conspiracy. They're just talking about the overbalance of evidence. And they want to reflect what the balance of evidence, and the balance of evidence shows that smoking is bad for you. So that's what they present to the people. The same thing with a plant-based diet. The balance of evidence suggests that these are healthy foods, these are unhealthy foods. The more we can eat over here, the less we can eat over here, the healthier we may be. There's only one diet ever been proven to reverse heart disease in the majority of patients, a plant-based diet. If That's the only thing a plant-based diet could do, reverse a number one killer, a number two killer here in the UK, shouldn't that be the default diet until proven otherwise? And the fact that it can also prevent, arrest, or reverse other leading killers, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, would seem to make the case simply overwhelming. There's only one diet ever proven to do that. It's hard to cherry pick when there's only
0: one cherry. I love how passionate you are about this. What drives that passion? When I see your nutrition facts videos, very, very passionate. When I saw you talking to the advisory, the advisory committee for the dietary guidelines, I think a year or two ago, very, very passionate. What drives that passion? And have you had to sacrifice a lot? The, the passion, well, look, I mean, it's why anyone really goes to, to into
1: medicine. I mean, if people want to make money, they go to a stock market or something. People go into medicine, at least initially. Because I want to take care of people. I mean they just they want to help people. I mean and that's I mean that's the kind of spark I can kind of reignite among my fellow healthcare professionals is you know that's why they went into this in the first place, but it's very frustrating to practice medicine these days because most of what you see in primary care is chronic disease and people don't get better. You can slow down their diabetes, slow down their blindness and their kidney failure and their amputations. We don't make people better again, but now we have a tool. This plant-based diet, we can reverse disease, actually make people better. That's why we went to medical school in the first place, and that's that's why I think there's this big flocking migration to lifestyle medicine. Right, Doctors making really second careers, moving from whatever they were doing, going into this because they can, you know, they can. Uh, it's just so much more satisfying to see people get better. I mean, that's, you know, that along with this kind of for me, it's this sense of, of just the justice, like the, people, the, the public is being lied to. Right? There are big money commercial interests that are trying to twist the truth. It's like the tobacco industry, it's like today's tobacco industry, twisting the science misinformation. And this is not just like, my toothpaste is better than their toothpaste. Fine. Who cares? Right? But when we're talking about people dying, so when the tobacco industry argues that smoking is bad for you, people die. Same thing happens now, where they're just trying to confuse the public such that people throw up their hands and eat whatever's put in front of them. Right? That serves big business interests, that doesn't serve human health interests. And it just—once I realized that there was this mountain of evidence, buried, hidden, it's there, published in the best journals, but there's no corporate budget. Some new study comes out saying broccoli is good. How are you going to hear about it? No news thing is going to cover it, because it's not really news, right? Uh, there's no press release. There's no broccoli lobby. You'll never hear about it. It gets buried. What we need is someone just say, look, here's all the science that's been sitting here. You hear about the new drugs, new surgical procedures. They've got big money to promote it, right? B- drug industries spend more on promotion than they s- spend on R&D, than on research. They spend more on putting ads on TV to get people to buy their drugs, to market these drugs, spending thousands of dollars per doctor in the U.S. to try to convince people to take these drugs, Whereas we don't have that. If McDonald's spends a million dollars a day to get people to eat their garbage, imagine if, you know, the Apple board had a million dollars a day. We would, I mean, you know, and look, they got the science to back it up, too, that it's actually
0: healthy. So would he support that? Would he support a broccoli lobby? Because isn't that um, a bit. Having a lobby is weird look, in itself. If
1: we're going to subsidize food, yeah. We should subsidize healthy food. Now, it, now, it's an open question, should taxpayer money be going to making food cheaper? Okay, fine, but if, you, if there's going to be subsidies, it shouldn't go to, you know, corn and soybeans to make cheap animal feed, it shouldn't go to the sugar lobby, it shouldn't go to the sugar industry, it should go to make fruits and vegetables cheaper. There's a number of uh, European countries that have these free fruit, fruit programs for kids. Kids go into school and on their desk is a free piece of fruit, right? And why? Not only do they care about their kids' health, but it actually saves money. And because, it's so, because fruit and vegetable consumption is so powerfully health-promoting, it actually reduces healthcare costs on a countrywide basis. Right? It, actually, it actually saves the country money to give away free fruit because it's such powerful food
0: as medicine. Your role model to so, so many people. Who are your role models?
1: Well, you know, Pritikin, really, was what started my, uh, my mission— in this, Nathan Pritikin, the Is he 70s. the good
0: father well, of the plant based so, movement? Well,
1: certainly in terms of kind of lifestyle medicine. Um, he was, at least in the States. But look, a lot of that came from where did Pritikin get his research from? Came from, you know, Dennis Burkett, who was an Irish surgeon. Um, uh, you know, all these, uh, all these British kind of missionary hospitals set up throughout sub-Saharan Africa discovering that these diseases just didn't exist. These chronic killer diseases like colorectal cancer and obesity and type 2 diabetes, they just weren't there. Ischemic heart disease, they just weren't. And so that was the first understanding. Wait a second. These diseases aren't inevitable consequences of aging. These are lifestyle diseases. Um, and we can reverse disease by putting people on the kind of diet, that, followed by people that don't get heart disease, what happens? Do we just stop the disease? No, we reverse the disease, suggesting your body wanted to be healthy all along if we just gave their body the choice. Um, and so, I mean, these, these, these research goes back a century, practically, um, but uh, certainly Pritikin, Ornish, Esselstyn, Campbell, I mean,
0: these are the real true greats in our movement talking with Esselstein, he recently came out a few months ago and said medicine is on the absolute cusp of a seismic revolution in health. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, and we have to. I mean, uh, I mean, look, uh, c- countries
1: can't, uh, China can't afford a, a, a diabetes epidemic. I mean, they just can't pay for it. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the, the state's is going broke thanks to healthcare costs. I mean, and so, you know, look, these large corporations, you know, I think the this, this kind of plant-based movement has an anti-corporate bias, but you need to realize some of these corporations are going to be leading the charge. When they self-insure their employees. They have these big corporations. They pay the health insurance to their employees. And if you can prevent a few cases of diabetes, all of a sudden you did huge things for the bottom line. These are some of the companies, like Kaiser Permanente, that are really leading the charge because it's just going to make them money. right? Um, I mean, just, it, it makes sense from the bottom line um, in terms of the, kind of the health insurance industry, um, saving money, um, and so what saves money also is healthier. And so, same thing with like the, you know, the egg-free mayonnaise. Hey, it's cheaper and it's it's safer and it's healthier. And I mean, you know, and so when you have that kind of Zen diagram, of
0: it makes people money and it's healthier. Well, then there you go. You've recently written a book. It was included on the latest New York Times bestsellers list. It was called How Not to Die. Are you scared of dying, Dr. Greger? Of course I'm scared of dying, I still have a
1: lot of work to do, um, uh, so I uh, hopefully won't get hit by a bus. I mean, I, I mean, I do a lot of traveling, traveling's not safe, um, I do a lot of driving, driving simply isn't safe. Um, I try to, you know, I wear my you know, seat belts and bike helmets, practice safer sex and all this, but, look, you know, uh, you gotta take care of yourself. Um, I'm a little scared of the sleep medicine research because my sleep deprivation to get things done is uh, is impinging
0: on that. I just try to pretend it doesn't exist. But uh, thank you for the interview. Re- we really appreciate your uh, sort of tenacity and propensity to work so hard to get this message to amplify this message out to so many people. So it's really, really appreciated. Lives are in the balance. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work yourself. Today is a really exciting day. I'm about to meet the legendary Dr. Michael Greger. For those who don't know, he is founder of Nutrition Facts and author of the New York Times bestselling book, How Not to Die. Now, not only am I about to meet the man, he is actually coming to my home to do an interview for YouTube. The level of excitement on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being crazy, super duper excited, I'm at about 57 and rising. I can't wait to meet the man.